Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm welcoming back our tried and true podcast guest and my friend, Laura Minzer, president of the Illinois Life and Health Insurance Council, to talk about insurance policy in the age of COVID. Laura, it's so good to have you back on Sam Says. Hey, Sam, it's great to be back. I always enjoy talking with you all the time about all things um, healthcare related and non-healthcare related. And uh, congratulations to you too. It's good to have you back in the fold, but exciting to have now two boys. Um, as a mom of two boys, I uh, I love it. <laughs> it's fun. It's so much fun. I'm so lucky. I'm tired, um, but really grateful. And I'm so excited to pick your brain on insurance policy, as I always do. Uh, listeners, I am always calling Laura saying, what does this mean? What do we do? What do we think? Um, and it's well, it's pretty much mutual there, uh, Sam. So. <laughs> oh, you true expert here, Laura. Um, And so let's just sort of get started with regards to COVID because I think there's so much going on that I'm like sort of, my head is spinning trying to keep up with all of it. And I can't imagine how just like regular folks who aren't in this day in and day out, like how this feels for them. So coverage, I think the big one for at-home testing. Let's just start with like- what this looks like and and what we know. Yeah, of course it is a big one because it's very recent. Um, So uh, I believe it was January 10th, uh, the Biden administration announced uh, what we knew was coming was uh, insurance coverage extending. Now, testing is covered um, for, for COVID tests already. Um, but as you know, um, you can now go to your pharmacies, retail outlets to get an at-home test, a uh, rapid test. And um, so the Biden administration announced that um, the mandate for at-home tests or over-the-counter, we call over-the-counter um, COVID-19 tests would also be subject to the testing mandate for private um, insurance coverage. Uh, they gave us uh, the industry five days essentially to um, implement uh, the policy and coverage for this went live January 15th. Now the guidance itself said, you know, insurers could potentially cover uh, any tests uh, purchased and obtained prior to January 15th. But, you know, beginning January 15th, that Saturday, if you were to go to your um, uh, local pharmacy or CVS, Walgreens, um, Walmarts, uh, uh, there's a lot of retail outlets that carry these tests. Um, You could purchase these and they would be subject to coverage, subject to limitations um, for tests, uh, for test kits, which and as you, if anybody that's purchased these, there's usually two swabs um, per test kit. Um, and, you know, there were lots of questions, not just by the insurance industry, but I'm sure by many consumers. Um, we talked at length with our Department of Insurance about implementation of this. But really simplistically, if I could break it down, um, you know, the best thing we always suggest is uh, be sure to check with your insurance policy and your insurance coverage. But the bottom line is if you go to the pharmacy counter 
you can purchase up to the four test kits. Um, you know, some retailers have limitations on how much you can buy it at one time. Um, and you should be able to get that covered at no cost to you. Now, if you go to the um, purchase counter or the checkout counter, uh, it doesn't automatically mean your insurance coverage would cover it at that point of sale. You might have to probably submit it for um, uh, a reimbursement, which is up to $12 for the kit. Now, if you've bought one of these tests, which I have uh, several times over, um, $12 is usually not the entirety of the cost of the kit. So we are always trying to suggest that consumers go to the pharmacy counter to purchase this. And, and many carriers are have or are working to implement a direct-to-consumer type of option as well, where it's shipped to you. And of course, this is all on top of in addition to, you know, the federal government announcing the COVID test that the site that you could sign up to get four kits for your family. And I did this the day it was launched and it was so easy, <laughs> almost so easy. I wasn't, uh, I was a little suspect of it, but <laughs> um, yeah. that was a good thing. It's covidtests.gov. So yeah. covidtestsplural.gov. It is the easiest government website I've ever seen. Uh, as somebody who spends a lot of time on government websites, that's uh, saying something. Yes. I requested our tests. I got them sooner than tests I paid for. I got yeah. them uh, within a week. It was, I also did the day it launched um, because we are, um, and I'm hip, of course, we're letting Medicaid members know because Medicaid covers just as commercial does. It's, it's eight right. tests. Right. Um, or four boxes, eight tests. Uh, for on the Medicaid side, there's no consumer cost. We're, we're covering the full cost of the test at your local pharmacies. But we are also sharing with members this, this website because it's half the battle with the at-home tests, at least I feel from like a consumer, is just finding them. Yes. So of course, the, there's a barrier for Medicaid members in terms of the cost. But there's also just for everyone out there, how do you just find them? And so covidtests.gov, super easy. And so we are highly recommending that as well for our members. And then also at the Medicaid side, our Medicaid MCOs are looking at partnering with some other organizations to do mail order and to sort of remove some of those barriers for Medicaid members, much like I think the commercial side is also looking to do uh, to sort of streamline this process. Yeah. And likewise, I mean, it is, there's, as we often say, there's nothing, unfortunately, the insurance industry, um, I think this goes for the Medicaid side, can really do about the supply chain. I mean, we are not in the business of manufacturing these tests. So it is a challenge. Um, you know, speaking from a little bit of experience, I know when Omicron sort of started to become, um, a, a explode in terms of the variant and and um, the number of cases that were out there. And we had a number of new COVID cases. Um, uh, and so when I went to go find these tests, I couldn't find them anywhere. They were sold out all over Springfield, where I'm located in Illinois. Um, and even online, it was you, you couldn't find availability. So uh, it seems that they've overcome that to some degree. Um, and then certainly with the government uh, supporting that with a free website, um, with a website for those free tests, um, everyone, regardless of their income level, should avail, avail themselves of that. Absolutely. So that's COVID test. And again, I think it's worth noting that it's only for FDA approved at home COVID tests. Yes. Um, yes. Good, good point. Yeah. Cause there are some out there. I mean, I think this is what, this is probably the next thing we sort of dive into is we're seeing more and more that, um, there's a variation, uh, in the industry in terms of COVID testing. And I think we're starting to see that in the, you know, the uh, 
physical location tests as well. When you mm-hmm. go somewhere, I mean, there have been uh, some uh, quite a few sort of investigations in terms of uh, the outcomes and efficacy of some of those tests. And so we just you know, want to be clear, it's FDA approved tests. There's a, there are lists out there. Make sure that what you're getting is um, going to be covered. And it's also just going to give you actual factual, helpful information as opposed to something that just isn't uh, certified. Yeah, that's an unfortunate. Yeah, I totally agree. There's ways to make sure that you as a consumer are informed on not only your coverage uh, opportunities, but also what you're purchasing. Um, you know, and unfortunately, as we all know in lots of areas of life when there's um, uh, fortunately in the pandemic, we've seen a lot of it. There are opportunists that come along. Fraud is, is definitely out there. It's unfortunate and people are um, victimized by it, but we, you know, certainly on the insurance side, um, that's a key priority in terms of um, preventing against that because it, it, it levels costs on, on everybody um, with that, that waste and and fraud that, that exists out there. Absolutely. So we have the at-home tests, the free government website, still covering COVID tests. If you go to your, you know, your clinic or your pharmacy urgent care, Um, there were some rules around um, what the coverage is for those in-person tests. Is that right? Yeah, I think the the some of the areas that are a little bit still uh, still a little bit challenging to work through um, is you know the employer requirements, right? There are some, you know, obviously the rules existed when when PCR tests rolled out, um, they were tied to medical necessity. So if you had symptoms or if you were um, exposed, those were all covered um, in, in for your uh, insurance coverage at no cost share. Um, was fully covered, still is fully covered in that um, for those reasons. The the caveat obviously was, you know, if it's for quote unquote routine testing for employment purposes. So if you think about for when your employer requires you to um, submit to um, either regular or periodic uh, drug tests, for example, as a part of your employment, uh, that is not an insurance related issue. That's a part of the employment package. Um, and those costs are usually borne by the employer um, or and or sometimes the employee. Um, the same is true with the COVID tests. And it becomes a little bit difficult when you kind of add in the over-the-counter COVID-19 because the, the regulations and the guidance that came out still makes it explicit that, you know, these aren't for that purpose. But it's hard to it's hard to determine that. So you know, insurance carriers do have the ability of requiring some um, attestations uh, of such. Um, I know our Department of Insurance has sort of um, is definitely encouraged uh, insurers to um, obviously balance the utilization controls and, and what's appropriate, but also not throwing up major barriers to access and discouraging people from getting testing because, as we all know, testing is really important. Um, to try to mitigate this and finally perhaps get to get us out of the pandemic stage into uh, endemic um, and, and back to some you know, level of, of normalcy, whatever that looks like <laughs> um, going forward. Um, but that is that is definitely a nuance that is still somewhat challenging. And, and I know employees and employers like um, struggle to navigate that still. And, and I would say the insurance industry is also struggling. And it, it, I mean, it adds cost. It definitely is not an insignificant cost for something so small um, as testing, um, but it, it does all add up. Well, and if you think about it for the, you know, when you're going to a clinic, I mean, those tests are 
hundred to $150. And so if somebody's getting them, you know, once or twice a week uh, from a, for an employer purpose, that can sort of, I mean, that's, that's probably an increase in their uh, healthcare costs that that would be borne out in future premiums uh, that wasn't really taken into account or sort of envisioned. Yeah, and certainly on the commercial side, um, when you think about uh, plans that go to sell and, and set their premiums and projections for their build in for their premiums for the next coming plan year. So here shortly, um, Illinois um, marketplace plans, small group plans will start to um, file those policies and put together their premium projections um, uh, for plans. That would start to be sold on January or for coverage to begin on January 1st of 2023 already. So that will begin here shortly. And if you think about, I mean, there's a period of time in which they, you know, obviously what the health insurance costs we would hope um, looks uh, not not to- too totally off, but projections, you know, made in April can look somewhat different than those projections in October. But obviously, this was rolled out on January 10th um, with effective date of January 15th. So this was, while it was anticipated, it wasn't, you know, wasn't built into the rates per se. So there's definitely going to be, you know, some impact of that. Um, unfortunately, nothing is nothing is free in life, um, and it does have a cost, even though. These tests are technically free for, for coverage at the point of sale. Um, but, uh, you know, it's important to think about what the impact is on the downstream. But obviously, from a healthcare standpoint, we're all for, you know, pushing this notion of getting preventative care versus the alternative, which is hospitalizations and right. unfortunately death, which, which adds much more cost to the, the system. Right. And, and just strains the system, because I think what we're seeing more and more um, as as different parts of the country sort of are going through their Omicron surge is it's not just those COVID like patients with COVID. It's mm-hmm. patients who are having surgeries delayed, you know, can't get in for emergency purposes. It's just such a significant strain on our system that uh, bores immediate and then um, you know future really significant costs as we're delaying. Um, you know, surgeries that absolutely need to take place. Yeah, I mean, we saw, um, I, I forget the statistic now, but it's it's really kind of frightening to see the drop in just preventative screenings, like mammograms, for example, how many, you know, how many delayed getting their annual mammogram, um, even last year in 2021. And, you know, we are we were starting to stabilize um, as a healthcare system and economy. Um, I, I don't think we're, you know, anywhere near what we were in the in the heat of 2020. Um, but it still exists and it still persists. And I think we would have hoped by this point in time we've started would have seen people return um, for those preventative measures. But you know, telehealth has been a great. Um, component of the healthcare delivery system, but it can't serve as, you know, it can't be the it can't fill all those voids. So like with screenings, for example, you can't necessarily perform a mammogram screening, although I wish they would figure out how, because it's not a very fun experience, but <laughs> um, but important to do every year. So this is my annual, this is my plug for uh, women over 40, you need to get your annual mammogram. But, but you know, even uh, in my own personal experience, um, I, when I made the appointments, um, you know, there was a lot of... Th- there was, it was, there was a delay. So I didn't quite make that annual in part because the system was overloaded too. Um, which, 
is a good thing, but you know, it does create some lag time and in, in what normally people are used to a regular, a regular cycle, but it is really important. And I, um, I hope we can get back to a point in time where it's, we're not talking about this, but it is concerning because even those that have missed it, maybe one or two years or potentially three, um, you know, again, to potentially catch something at a stage one, and then it becomes a stage four is you're talking about a difference, not just quality of life, but the costs in the in the overall healthcare system. And the strain on the system, right? Like, yep. so it, it's strain everywhere. There's, there's obviously physical and emotional strain for that patient. Yeah. There's an increased cost. Um, and then there's just strain on a healthcare system that's already just strained, um, you know, beyond belief. Well, on the workforce issue, and I know that's from the provider perspective as a huge challenge. Um, and again, it's um, it's a concern, obviously, from the insurance, the, all parts of the healthcare economy, you know, going forward, uh, it, even if you can get a screening, but there's not the workforce there to support it, um, it's difficult to overcome. And, and uh, you know, it's you're, you're seeing that strain in other areas of the economy as well. Um, but I think you know, it's also, I see it a little bit of as an opportunity to have a conversation about how our healthcare delivery system overall works um, and where are we transitioning to focus care? Um, maybe not necessarily in the, the, the walls of four walls of a hospital, um, but, you know, behind the safety of your computer, for example, and treatment, meeting people where they're at, um, transitioning the workforce, um, you know, to, to meet some of those innovations and decentralize our healthcare delivery system, maybe a little bit, um, trying to be optimistic about it. But yeah, it is, you know, we definitely have a, a sensitivity to the issues that our providers are navigating right now, just from a workforce uh, shortage problem. I like how you are trying to see that opportunity out of the challenge, because I think we saw that with telehealth, right? Like, so telehealth, two, three years ago, um, you know, just nowhere near what it is in terms of utilization and comfort and access that we have today. And that, you know, really wasn't actually, I think mainly, it wasn't a concern from the the health payer side, the health plans, but providers weren't doing it. And patients, you know, just weren't as interested in telehealth um, until they sort of like were forced into telehealth. And so, there's been an increase in sort of comfort, especially for certain types of visits, like consults with specialists and especially mental health um, care, you know, being done in telehealth, in a telehealth platform, um, it, it just reduces barriers. It actually, I, you know, we've talked with clinicians and they see actually improved outcomes because patients are more comfortable in the discussion, um, both mental health and just even talking with uh, specialists because, you know, especially that initial consult. Oftentimes, you don't want to be having that conversation with a specialist. It's rarely that something has gone right, and that's why you're having that discussion. Um, so, you know, I do think the initial sort of um, shock of the pandemic brought around this transformation in telehealth. Um, so potentially, as we sort of continue through, maybe there'll be some transformation around how do we use the workforce in a more efficient and effective manner, Um because we can't continue on the trajectory that we're on right now. It's just not sustainable. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And yeah, to your point about utilization of telehealth, you know, it has dropped off, um, particularly for medical kind of um, treatment, um, but where it hasn't necessarily dropped off, at least from the commercial side, we see this in utilization is the behavioral health. And I think that will 
will continue. We hope it does continue because, you know, talking about workforce shortage, uh, the behavioral health provider space has always suffered challenges in terms of access to providers, um, particularly when you get to more rural areas. Uh, of the state and the country, um, it is it is really important. So I'm excited for you know the opportunities that that presents, and and we spent a lot of time talking about it last year in Springfield and um, at the policy and nationally as well. Um, and I think Illinois has done a great job of of really kind of leading the charge on that. Absolutely. And I think this is the perfect place to wrap because there's, we could talk about this for hours. Yes, um, we could. <laughs> in part, because you're just so amazing, Laura. So thank you so much for joining me again. And as always, I know we'll have you back on for various discussions, including I really want to get it, dive into, you know, the finance of healthcare, because I think there's so much there um, to discuss. Would love to talk about it. So it's always a pleasure to be on with you. And thank you again for having me back. And I look forward to future discussions always. <laughs> thank you. And and of course, to our listeners to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Olds Fry. The Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.